Hi, I'm, I'm Riley. I uh, go to this church. I don't know how else to describe myself. I'm a member of Sovereign Grace. I've come here for a couple of years now. I um, love being here. And oh, I'll tell you what, after those baptisms, I don't have much left. Um, that was just so encouraging. Uh, God just reminded me of how good he is to, to save people. To hear someone say, I have made Jesus my Lord and my Saviour. Uh, isn't that just the best words in the world? Um, and it just reminded me just of his grace to me that I was once um, a child of sin going to hell and saved by his grace and oh, I couldn't sing the last song. I don't know if that was you but for some reason God, I couldn't sing it because I had no words because I was just crying because God um, saved me and God has saved Bree and Jonah and many of us here and it's so encouraging. Um, today is one of the, oh, Yeah. <laughs> I am 15. I'm a school teacher and you'd be surprised how many times I do that and gee, I empathise with all the 15 year olds here, Caleb being the only one. Um, Today we're in the book of Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 to 21. So have that ready and we'll read it in a moment. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 to 21. Well, seeing as I'm a 15-year-old, I like to read teen fiction every now and again, and there's a great series, which I never read as a teenager, I read as an adult, um, called the Tomorrow series. Tomorrow, when the war began, Ollie's loving it, he knows it. You might have seen the movie, um, a fantastic book series. Basically, the plot goes like this. Uh, A bunch of friends in country town go camping one weekend. Uh, They're out there camping, and they come home, and Australia's been invaded. Um, Australia has been invaded, their town has been taken over. It doesn't say who the um, enemy troops are, but they've been taken over. But no one knows that they're missing. And so they become vigilantes. They're running around, they're trying to destroy all that the enemy's doing. Um, And at times they get caught and all that type of stuff. Um, But they actually escape Australia. uh, But for love for their country, they come back because they want to do all that they can because they're in a war. And as they come back, they're trying to see what they can do um, and they get found. Uh, they're walking through one of these fields and they actually fall into this pit and there's a whole bunch of kids there from the enemy. And the kids just get up and scream and run back to their parents and these five young teenagers, less than 18 years old, they're like, they start legging it. And as they're running, they're running across like a field and all these dudes just start getting down on one knee and start shooting at them. Um, and the, the author, it's an autobiography, fake autobiography, what do you call that? First person narrative, that's what it's called. She says, it doesn't matter how tired you are, being shot at is very motivating. Uh, And so she's sprinting up the hill and they're shooting at her, bullets are whizzing past and they get to the top of the hill, they're in the Australian countryside, so imagine out like way past Blue Mountains, imagine Tamworth, somewhere like that, in the countryside and they get to the top of the hill and it's bare trees, no bushes. There's one little section of bush and they start running down and they realise, oh, that's going to be too obvious. So they just start running and getting as far away as they can. So they're sprinting through and they're desperately looking. They're trying to go, where can we hide? Where are we going to get away? Because they're near an enemy airfield and their choppers are going to come. They're going to get caught. They don't want to get caught again. And they're petrified. They've got no way of escaping. They're looking everywhere and they can't see. And then Ellie, the main character, she says this. In a movie, there would have been a secret cave that we could have dropped into. 
or Sam and Colonel Finley would have arrived in a helicopter. Here, it wasn't going to be so easy. But I was desperate. Whatever else happened, I didn't want to be caught again. And that fierce fear made my mind work fast and frantically. A memory flashed into my mind, like a slide on a screen. It was something my Uncle Bob said years ago when Grandma decided to leave the farm and buy a house. Uncle Bob, who's a builder, Bob the Builder, <laughs> came down to look at the house she wanted. I followed him around as he checked it out. He kept looking up all the time. What are you doing, Uncle Bob? What are you looking at? I said. He glanced at me. People never look above their own line of sight. If the builder's done a snow job on the place, you can tell by looking up high. He'll be smart enough to have it looking okay at eye level. As I look hard and around the light scrub, the lack of undergrowth, the unbearing, unyielding bush, and the grass mown short by horses, I thought that Uncle Bob's words might give us our only hope. We were stumbling along now, getting slower and more tired. And I called back over my shoulder, we'll have to climb the trees. I think Uncle Bob um, has actually quite a rare bit of insight. People never look above their own line of sight. And as she's running through, the enemy's coming, she's, all she is seeing is no hope, no future. They're going to get caught, they're going to get stuck. And then she looks up and realises they can hide in the trees. And just so you don't wonder, all message, they don't get caught, they hide in the trees, they don't get found because the enemy never looks up. But isn't that a bit true of us? Uh, our, us as humans, we, we get so focused on the here and now. We, we get tunnel vision, we look in our own line of sight and we, we forget to look up. We, get a, we have a narrow perspective. We get so stuck in our parenting or our job or our, you know, our career, our schoolwork, doing the HSC, our uni work, trying to get the best marks we can, our investments, our homes, whatever it is, we get stuck with this line of sight and we forget to look up. While the message today is entitled, Looking Up, Having the Heavenly Perspective. And Paul is going to teach us today from the book of Philippians, the writer Paul is going to teach us that to live the Christian life, to get through this world, we need to look up. We need to have a heavenly perspective. Um, I'm going to read the passage. Uh, this is the best part of the sermon, hearing God's word, and then I'm going to pray, and I'd ask you to join with me as I pray. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their burial. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But... Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body 
to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Would you pray with me? God, would you help us as a church to sit under your word? By your Holy Spirit, may we be transformed. May we be changed. May we look up. May we have a heavenly perspective. Give us grace, God. Help us to be humble enough to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been going through the book of Philippians, um, much of the journey has actually been a journey of looking at good examples. In chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your life be so good, so worthy of the gospel. And so to flesh that out, Paul has given us numerous examples of what it looks like to live a life in a manner worthy of the good news. The good news that Jesus died for us. How do you live a life like that? Well, Paul gave us the example of Jesus. Um, The example of Jesus to humbly serve others. Then he gives us the example of Timothy to have a genuine concern for others. Then he gives us the example of Epaphroditus to sacrifice ourselves for others. And then he uses himself, himself the Apostle Paul, and he shows us what it is to treasure Christ above all else. To not put your faith in yourself, but to put it in God. And to humbly pursue holiness. Lots of examples, lots of things that Paul has taught us through this medium of imitation and example, but he's not done. He's got one more message for the Philippians in terms of example. He's got one more message. God's got one more message for us. Verse 17, he says to imitate him and to find those who live like him. But then verse 18 says this, for many. There's a reason there. There's a link. It's not just imitate me. And he's already given lots of reasons why we should, but there's one more reason. Imitate me because. Imitate me because. And then he outlines two ways of living life. And they're kind of the two points of the sermon. Earthly mindset, heavenly perspective. You can live your life with a low vision, line of sight, earthly mindset, or you can live your life, your Christian life, with a heavenly perspective. And that's the two points for today. Earthly mindset, heavenly perspective. Looking down, looking up. So, first point, earthly mindset, looking down. Paul says that we are to imitate him and find many who live like him. Now the point is imitation, but the reason is because of these people who don't, who don't live like him. Now read verse 18 with me. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. As I read this, I think the obvious question is, who are these people and how did they get this way? And how do I avoid being like them? So firstly, who are these people? Well, after reading it, I think it's pretty obvious the first time you read it. People who are adversely opposed to Christianity, enemies of the cross. That's what it looks like when you first read it. But it doesn't really make sense if they're people who are outright enemies of Christianity because Paul is concerned that they're going to imitate these people. 
And the Philippian Christians are not going to be like, I wonder how I should live my life. Maybe I should make my mentors people who are enemies of Christianity. It's probably not. So it's probably actually not, you know, adverse enemies of Christianity. Now, the commentators, the smart guys, they actually reckon that most likely the people who are described as enemies of the cross are actually professing Christians. And that's a bit of a worry. They claim to know Christ, yet the way that they live makes them enemies of the cross. So how did they get that way? If they, you know, And we don't know for sure who they are. That's the other thing that the commentators say. that We don't know, so it doesn't really matter. But Paul kind of outlines how did they get this way? How did they go from maybe believing in Jesus to becoming an enemy of him by the way that they live? Look at verse 19. Their God is their belly. The first step down from following Christ into this enemy way is that they've made their God no longer Jesus Christ, but their desire. They are drawn, they are led by their own desire and so they worship what they want. Whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, however they can get what they want, their God is their belly. Uh, the belly is like the, in the Bible, is like your desire. It's what leads you in, in that kind of way. And so they're actually worshipping their desires. Then the next step down, look, the next word, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. So they become worshipping of, they just give up on, you know, denying themselves. They, you know, Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. They're like, no, maybe not. I'll just, you know, stop denying myself, live for myself. But then the next step, they glory in their shame. They actually reverse moral order. Instead of feeling guilty about what they're doing, they start to applaud themselves. They start to glory in it. They start to be like, no, this is a good way of living. Isn't this great to just just give in to God is your belly? Just live this way. They justify themselves. And then thirdly, with minds set on earthly things. Giving in, justifying giving in, they've lost sight. They become totally focused on earth. They've forgotten the heavenly reality. It's a three-step process that Paul shows us and it ends up, what's their result? It's pretty dire. Well, it's the most dire you can get. Their end is destruction. It's pretty scary. It's a scary warning for us as Christians. If these guys were professing Christians... Uh, potentially they were itinerant preachers or maybe they're the ones who uh, Paul talked about earlier in chapter 3, whoever they are. It's a scary warning to, to me. Oh, what if I became like that? And there's, we've probably all experienced times when you've just habitually given in to sin. Maybe that's taking a step. Or maybe we've all experienced times when we're justified. No, 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 what I'm doing, the way I'm spending my money, no, it's fine. Actually, it's good. That's how we're meant to live. And there's been times in my life when uh, all I can think about is the earthly things around me. And Paul says this to the Philippian Christians because he's saying, imitate me, don't be like them. Watch out. These guys have forgotten the cross. They've forgotten their saviour. They're stuck here on earth. But it's not just a scary warning, it's a compassionate warning. 
See, Paul's not going, these guys are enemies. Their end is destruction. Yeah. He's not excited about it. How is he? Look at verse 18. For many have I often told you and now tell you, even with tears. Tears. His page is wet. As he thinks about these people who have abandoned their saviour, his page is wet. Do you weep for people who have walked away from Christ? Does it scare you? Does it bring remorse in you? Their end is destruction. And Paul isn't saying it in a self-righteous way. He is genuinely moved and genuinely concerned. And he genuinely does not want the Philippians to become like this. Well, what does the Christian life look like? Not that, Paul says. Don't live like that. Don't get so caught up in the earthly perspective that you lose sight of the heavenly realities. So how do we avoid this? How do, you know, as a church, as, as a follower of Christ, as a professing Christian, Bree and Jonah, you know, you just profess your faith in Christ, how do you avoid becoming like this? Because I'm sure it didn't happen one day. I'm sure it happened bit by bit by bit by bit. They took the steps down. Well, how do we avoid it? Well, Paul goes on. He doesn't end the chapter there. He says in verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul provides a stark contrast. You know, like artists, we use contrast to emphasise things, to highlight things. Paul uses the negative example to make the positive example even brighter. How do we avoid getting stuck in the earthly mindset? Well, Paul says, have a heavenly perspective. Live with a heavenly perspective. And that's point two. Look up. Look up, living with a heavenly perspective. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. How do we have this heavenly perspective? Well, the first question I think, if we're going to live with a heavenly perspective, we need to ask is, what is the heavenly perspective? What is Paul actually talking about? If we want to cultivate a life where we look up, not down, how do we actually do that? Or what is that perspective? So verse 20, Paul says... To contrast, he says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour. The first point of having a heavenly perspective is this. Realising realizing that though we live on earth, we belong in heaven. What is the heavenly perspective? The first part is realising that though you live on earth, you belong in heaven. For those who have professed faith in Christ, those who are on board with Jesus, a follower of Jesus, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. Our green card is in heaven. Our papers say, yeah, okay, we live here in Sydney, Australia or elsewhere, wherever you live, but you actually live in heaven. You actually belong to heaven. You actually belong to an eternal reality. You live here on earth, but you belong in heaven. And if that is true, then we just have a temporary visa here. 
We're going to get kicked out one day. Our time is going to end. Jesus is going to come back. And that's the second point. First one is we live on earth. We belong in heaven. The second point of the heavenly perspective is that we eagerly await Christ's return. If you belong in heaven, then how are you going to get there? We're stuck here. How are we going to get there? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus will come and he will take us there. Look at verse 21. Well, verse 20, 21. From it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eagerly awaiting his return. We belong in heaven and therefore we need Christ to come back and get us and take us there. That day, that day when Christ returns will be one heck of a day. I mean, if you've never looked into the second coming of Christ, um, I I think it's helpful if we just think about it for just a moment. Paul is speaking to people who thought about it all the time. The first century church, one of the dominant themes of their life was waiting for Jesus to come back. Jesus talked about it heaps. The New Testament writers talked about it heaps. But to be honest... For us, I think it it might be something, maybe it's just my own life, I don't think about it very often. I mean, if you analyse your last week, how many times did you think, can't wait for Jesus to come back? How many times did you think that? I thought about it lots because I was preparing a sermon about it, but before then, I'd hardly thought about it. Well, what will that be like? What will that day be like? Last week, we celebrated that Christ died and that he rose again. Forty days after he rose again, he ascended into heaven where he sits now, ruling the earth at God's right hand. But he promised that one day he will actually return. Check out Matthew 24, verse 30 to 31 and verse 36. It should be on the screen for you. This is Jesus talking before he died, predicting what will happen. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus paints a picture that there's going to be all these signs that will come and then the final sign that will come is that you will look up, literally, and you will see Christ descending from heaven with the angels. That's going to be a crazy day. That day, you know, it's not going to be on YouTube, it's probably not going to be on Facebook. It's going to be a moment, I think, when all of us will just look up and we're like, oh, he's coming. You know, it it is on. Game is on and it will be a day of terror And it will be a day of joy. Um, It's a scary reality. The Bible actually makes it like a really scary reality. But Jesus is going to come back and that's the end. That's the final moment. You know, that the bell has rung. All chances people had to put their faith in Christ, they're they're over. Um, And God is going to come and take his people home. And it's going to come at a day that no one knows. Like a thief in the night. If you knew a thief was coming, you'd be prepared, right? If I told you right now, or if I tweeted you or texted you, hey, Snapchatted you, hey, I'm going to steal your TV tonight, you're going to wait up and be like, hey, I've got a baseball bat, come in. It's going to be heaps of fun. 
But I'm not going to do that. If I'm going to come in and steal your TV or your jewellery or whatever, or I'm going to sneak into your bank account and transfer all your funds into mine, I'm not going to warn you. And Christ is going to come at a time that we don't know. It'll be in an instant. And many people will be unprepared. So the heavenly perspective, the heavenly perspective is, it's a sobering one. It's realising that though we live on earth, we belong in heaven and we eagerly await Christ to come back. But how do we actually start thinking in that way? If Paul is saying, how do you avoid, you know, getting trapped in this earth? You know, the earth is so good, isn't it? I mean, we got beautiful coffee. When I first thing I wake up, I, I always have this battle. Devotion, spend time with God, or caffeine. You know, and sometimes I try and mix the two, but if I'm pressed for time, caffeine seems to win out over my devotion. The world is good, and, and we have so many gifts. Children are a gift. Marriage is a gift. You know, church is a gift. Uh, the food we drink, the, the, yep, the food we drink, if you're in hospital with tonsils out or something, but the food that we eat, the wine that we drink, the, you know, the poppers, whatever you're into, um, they're all a gift from God, but what they do is sometimes they narrow our focus and we end up looking down. And so God, in his mercy, says to us, look, guys, church, followers of Christ, you need to look up. So how do we actually do that? Well, this week, and I think last time I preached, I said the same thing, um, we're potty training our daughter. <laughs> last time, we failed, and it wasn't the right time, and so we're going at it again. And as weird as it sounds, learning to have a heavenly perspective is a bit like potty training. Um, there's lots of things that is not like potty training, but one thing that is like potty training is that you have to constantly remind your child that they need to go to the toilet. It's not an instinct. Uh, not yet, anyway. It becomes an instinct. But at first, you know, when she first went on the potty, I was like, awesome, she did it, we're done. And Maddie's like, no, no, no. Uh, Maddie's my wife. Um, she's like, no, 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 we have to remind her for like two weeks to go before it's an instinct. I'm like, what? <laughs> so all day on Friday, Saturday, and this morning, it's like, do you need to go to the potty? 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 You... And she's like, no! You know, and it, but I have to keep reminding her because she doesn't know. Sometimes she does and she remembers and other times she doesn't. And oh my gosh. Come Lord Jesus when that happens because it is not fun. Um, and if you're not yet a parent, you haven't yet potty trained, I'm sure you can understand what I'm talking about to some degree. Gaining the heavenly perspective is a little bit like that. We need constant reminders. Because I know I've been preaching this sermon, I've been constantly reminded, and it's been on my mind, I've been thinking, maybe today. Maybe today Christ will come back. I mean, I've been trying to build into my life little things that you can do to just remind yourself. I heard of a story once of a guy who carved into a piece of wood those words, maybe today. And he put it at the top of his door, and as he walked out to go to work or whatever he did, I can't remember, he would look up and see, maybe today. And that reminded him, oh yeah, we, earth is not just now. We live in a heavenly, maybe Christ will come back. You know, and I'm sure over time it's sunk through and he, he didn't look at it anymore, but we need that constant reminder. Another one I was thinking of, and I've been doing this a little bit, is I've literally just been looking up. You know, just to remind myself, look up. So everyone right now, what I want you to do is just look up. 
And I can tell if you're not, because you're looking at me, right? So look up. And every time you look up, that's going to remind you, oh yeah, maybe this time when I look up, Christ is going to come back. Uh, but it's been so much on my mind uh, that I, you know, I've been trying to get it into my head that one date night, I, you know, because I was realizing that if Christ came back, you know, that would have implications. And so I, on date night, I said to Maddie, you know, if Christ came back, we wouldn't be married anymore. Not a great line. Not a great thing to say on date night because Jesus said that in the heavenly realities, marriage will be over. Um, and I was just re- realizing that and just said it straight to her. And she was like, thanks, Carl. Um, she has grace and she loved me anyway. But we need constant reminder. Looking up, writing it down somewhere. When I was in high school, we made stickers that said maybe today. And we put it on our Bibles. We put it on our school folder. And it just kind of went with us wherever we went. Because you always, in year 11 and 12, you always got a folder with all your notes in it. Maybe today. Maybe today. We need constant reminder. So, how do we avoid, how do we avoid that horrible description, that scary description, eternal destruction? Well, we need to look up. We need the heavenly perspective. But how does that heavenly perspective actually change us? So it's not good enough just to know we need a heavenly perspective. I think we need to know why. What is it actually going to do to your life? This week, if you go about having a heavenly perspective, what will it do? I think this passage teaches us multiple things, but I'm just going to say three of them. Um, Firstly, the heavenly perspective keeps us sober. Keeps us sober. And Paul, in his love for the Philippians, and God in his love for us, has given us this passage. And in one measure... It's to keep us sober, to be clear thinking. Because Christ could come back at any moment. And Jesus tells all these stories that he's going to come and some people will be ready and some people won't be. And knowing that Christ will one day return, knowing that we don't belong here on earth, keeps us sober in the face of sin and temptation. Would I really want to be caught doing this? Is this how I want to meet Jesus? Clicking online? Cheating on my partner? Cheating on a test? Is that that how I want to meet him? Not forgiving someone? Is that how I want to meet him? It keeps us sober. Uh, Jesus said it like this. After talking about when he's going to come back, basically the same verse as before, he then says this um, in Luke 21. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The heavenly perspective keeps us sober. That's pretty sobering, right? It's, it's easy to get caught up in our little lives and our little things and all the, you know, all the good things and all the bad things and lose perspective. And Jesus, you know, God is telling us, sober up, I'm coming back. Live in light of that. So are you ready? 
are you ready for Christ to come back? What if he came back today? What would meet you? Where's your life at? Where's your heart at? We know that in Christ he has called us, he's chosen us, his grace is upon us. Um, And if you are sinning in the moment he comes back, it doesn't mean that you won't go to heaven. But still, we need to check ourselves all the time. Am I ready for Christ's return? Or would I be in trouble? Uh, Secondly, the heavenly perspective helps us to persevere. Have you ever, I don't know if you like me, but anyway, have you ever got to a point in your Christian faith when you just feel like throwing in the towel? When you just feel like all this serving I'm doing, all this denying of myself I'm doing, all this suffering, ah, I just want to throw in the towel. I just want to give up. Uh, The Philippian Christians they were being heavily persecuted. You know, we, our reasons for giving up is that we just maybe, you know, you know, it's awkward being a Christian or it doesn't sound very good or it takes a bit of my time on my Sunday. But for them, they're literally being chased and they're being potentially beaten. They're, they're actually suffering. And so Paul said, look up, Christ is coming back. Live with a heavenly perspective. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says these words, Therefore, my brothers... Therefore, because of the heavenly perspective, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. It helps us to persevere. If you feel like throwing in the towel on the Christian faith, if you feel like just giving up on God, if you feel like you've served too much, you've given too much, you've denied yourself too much, Christ is saying to us, God is saying to us, stand firm, I'm coming. Persevere. In 1 Corinthians 15, um, Paul is talking about the same thing, Christ's return. And I love it how he says it. I just want to emphasise one thing there. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Your labour in kids' work. Your labour in setting up the bookstore, your labour in the coffee and the hospitality, your labour up the back on the sound desk, your labour of loving your wife, your labour of obeying your parents, your labour of following Christ in every situation of life is not in vain if Christ returns and calls you home. Isn't that amazing? It's not in vain. It might feel like it at the time, but when you look up, you realise this is going somewhere. I have treasure in heaven. I have a saviour who's coming back for me. It helps us to persevere. And finally, I think this is the best one. Finally, the heavenly perspective gives us hope. It gives us hope. I just want to read the words again of this passage. Let them sink in. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. When Christ comes, there will be a great transformation. Um, This this lowly body is contrasted to the guys in verses 18 to 19 who started worshipping their body. They've given in to their body and that's become their saviour. But Paul is saying, no, 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 our body is lowly. Uh, We've got a better body waiting for us. Christ is coming back and he's going to give you a new one. And what that means, and I think this is just amazing, what that means is that even though you could be suffering with the most severe bodily sickness, 
You can have hope. You can have hope. Isn't that an amazing thing? Because one day, Christ will come back and he will transform your body. And he will give you a resurrection body. My mum um, one day fainted and then never got better. Uh, she's still sick. She, she wanted to come today, you know, see her son preach, uh, but she couldn't because she's too sick. Uh, over a decade now, chronic illness, mental illness, physical illness. And the hope of Christ's return is not, oh, Christ is coming back, so don't worry, you'll be right, get over it. Oh, who cares about your sickness? Jesus is coming back. One day you'll be better. That's not the hope of this passage. The hope of this passage is that, no, 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 you can get through it because one day he will come back. One day, those legs that don't want to stand anymore will be made new. Isn't that amazing? There's many people in here who are suffering physically. I know that. Christ is saying to you this morning, I will transform you. I'm going to give you my body. I'm going to give you a glorious body that will never be sick again. That's one way our bodies are lowly, but the other way is in our sin. Have you ever experienced that cycle of you know there's a sin that you want to do and you feel temptation to do it and you try and resist but then you give in and then you feel the guilt, you feel the shame, you feel the remorse and then you repeat. Oh, you repent and then you repeat and you just keep on sinning and you're like, why do I keep on doing the same sins again and again and again? And it's because we have a lowly body. But here's the beautiful truth. One day, one day Christ will come back. Jesus will descend from heaven. He will take you home, put you in the heavenly realms and you will never sin again. You know those times when you come to church, maybe um, you're like me, and you come to church and you feel like a fraud because you know you've sinned all week and you, you know you have love for the Saviour, but you just feel like, oh, can I really raise my hands because I'm such a sinner? You'll never feel that. In heaven, you will always just have unchecked joy, guilt-free joy, because Christ will give you a new body. You will escape all those sins and you will be able to sweetly sing how great the name of Jesus. You will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty for all eternity and you will never sin because he will transform your lovely body. I think that is amazing. That gives me hope. The hope isn't just get over it. The hope is get through it because you know he is coming back. He will transform you. But in the moment of sin, in the decade or more of suffering, the question is, are you trusting in him? Have you got the heavenly perspective? Are you able to look up through it? For those of you who are suffering, are you trusting? For those of you who are feeling your sin, are you trusting in him? Are you looking up to him? Because if you look within, you will find despair. You will want to give up. You will want to throw in the towel. But the amazing thing, I just think this passage is amazing. The amazing thing is that if you can look up, God will free you from despair. Despair over your sickness, despair over your sin, because one day he will take you home and you'll be in his presence. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that beautiful? Isn't our Saviour amazing? And not only that, not only that, but he took on a lonely body so that we can have a glorious one. The sickness, the sin, the pain, he took that on, on the cross. He took on our sin and our suffering so that we can have a glorious body in the future. Isn't that amazing? Our Saviour would just, not just wipe our slate clean, but actually take it on so that we can be set free. Are you trusting in him? If Christ returned today, would you be ready? Are you looking down or are you looking up? This passage was a great reminder to me to live with a heavenly perspective, to look up. Because maybe today the Lord will come and that will be a glorious, glorious day. I invite you all to pray with me. Um, And as we pray... Um, I'm going to pray kind of in the first person so that you can make this prayer your own. Um, So if you'd like to bow your heads and pray with me, um, I'm going to pray these words. They're not on the screen. You can just amen it in your head. Lord God, please help me to cultivate a heavenly perspective. Lord God, please help me to be sober-minded, to persevere, to have hope. Lord Jesus, come home, come and take us home soon. We love you. We love you, Lord. Amen.